A U.S. destroyer intercepted ballistic missiles fired by Houthi terrorists at a U.S.-owned container ship in the Red Sea. So what's the Biden administration's Middle East strategy? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, U.S. President Joe Biden sent a letter to congressional leaders urging them to approve the deal to sell F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. But first... The Gaza war is expanding across the region. The U.S. just struck down another Houthi anti-ship missile in a seventh round of strikes against the Iranian-backed terrorist group in recent days. Defense officials at both the State Department and the Pentagon have been emphasizing that these are all defensive strikes. For more, we're joined by Allison Jaslow, a former captain in the U.S. Army and the chief executive officer of the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, Thanks so much for your time today, Allison. Thanks for having me. So a U.S. destroyer intercepted ballistic missiles fired by Houthi terrorists at a U.S.-owned container ship in the Red Sea. It seems that this situation is growing day by day. How dangerous is this becoming? I think it's uh, a situation that you know, we've always been watching very intently. And I think one of the reasons why the Biden administration has been very thoughtful and how they've engaged both with Israel, but in the region is knowing that things could spiral out of control very quickly. Um, you know, also a reminder that something that doesn't get covered often enough is that we have troops who are deployed in the region, in Iraq, who've been uh, subject of attacks from Iran-backed militias as well. And so, you know, it, it'll continually be a situation that we have to watch. And it's on the brink of actually becoming not just a national security issue or, you know, something that could pull us uh, as a nation further into the Middle East, but also an economic one. You know, they're attacking uh, civilian cargo and there's we could feel economic pain sooner rather than later. So what do you make of this uh, seemingly late in the game military response by the DOD to Houthi rebels in Yemen who have been firing strikes on U.S. forces across the Middle East for the past two months? Well, I think nobody wants to rush to war. Um, so I think that the de- Defense Department, you know, these are always tough calls. That's why it's hard to be in the hot seat and to have those jobs. Um, but I think, you know, you're this is a country that has been exhausted by two decades of war in the Middle East. And I think we will be firm in our defense um, of, of our national security interests. But, you know, we're finding ourselves in another long term war in the region. Now, as you mentioned, uh, you know, of course, the economic reasons of this, we've been seeing commercial strikes. Is this conflict contributing to global inflation? I think it could. Uh, at the end of the day, there will be ripple effects um, if the supply chain continues to get impacted here. And I think that that's when, you know, economic issues become national security issues. So we'll have to see. And I think that's also where, you know, national security issues will start to touch everyday people versus just those who are serving in harm's way, have pledged to serve in harm's way if we need them to and or the folks over at the Pentagon. So it's definitely a delicate balance, as you laid out. The Biden administration does not want to escalate this uh, and widen the war, but they have to do something to move commercial shipping through the Red Sea. What options might they be exploring? Well, I actually see a lot of uh, creative solutions, if you will, being deployed right now, you know, trying to arm our partners in the region 
so they can have a firm defense um, on our behalf. And, you know, this is, you know, diplomacy at its best, us working with our allies is to be that front line so we don't have to be. Um, so I think that's what you're seeing in terms of the DOD using whatever authority that they have uh, within their own budget to arm our allies. Um, that's why you're also seeing the Biden administration lean on and make calls in Congress for Congress to support additional funding for weaponry for you know countries like uh, Jordan, as you mentioned before, uh, in addition to Israel. And so I think as long as we can continue to shore up our allies in the region, that is a good first line of defense, at least at this stage in the situation. Now, drawing on some of your experience, could you explain for some audience members here in the United States and, of course, around the world, why is the Red Sea so important to that global supply chain? Well, the global supply chain, um, you know, when it comes to the Red Sea, it is just a very vital port. Um, you know, it's probably a question for an, you know, an economist to answer over me. You know, I would say that, like, the thing that I can speak to most from my lived experience is how how complicated fighting in an environment like this is. Um, you know, you have an enemy who is, uh, it's too hard to tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys in a situation like this. You know, the, the Houthi rebels or Hamas, uh, all of these bad actors are, you know, using civilians on battlefields across the Middle East to obfuscate their actions. And, Wrapping your arms around that threat, whether you're the United States that's there or Israel or some of our other partners in the region is very, very complex. Um, so this is going to be a situation that is going to be new uh, for some time. And hopefully, you know, we have some breakthroughs here soon. But uh, as previously discussed, if the supply chain still gets held up um, with the Red Sea being such a, you know, important channel of uh, our global supply chain, uh, I think, you know, it can contribute to not just inflation, but also us going without important goods that we need to get uh, globally because we do live in a globalized economy these days. With about a minute left for people who may not be up to speed, kind of what would you frame uh, is the current strategy in, in the Middle East? I would say that at least from the United States perspective, I think what you're seeing is trying to strike the balance between thoughtfully engaging uh, with partners, but also with U.S. troops on ground and or deployed to the region to keep terrorism at bay. Um, you know, terrorists, as I've mentioned beforehand, uh, it's, it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole and that's like how that game is rigged. And so there is only so much you can do to fully eradicate it, even though that is always the goal. And so, you know, currently being able to have boots on ground, where, whether it's in Iraq or in Syria or just off the coast. Um, you know, you saw some Navy SEALs, unfortunately, um, were lost and, you know, pronounced missing and ultimately dead over the weekend um, off the coast of Somalia. And so there are troops deployed to the region that, you know, many Americans aren't even aware of until you make headlines like that. But I think we're being very strategic in how we uh, deploy U.S. forces and troops back allies but don't find ourselves, or at least, you know, trying to hold off finding ourselves in full-scale war in the Middle East again. Allison Jaslow, thanks so much for your perspective on this. Hey, thanks for having me. U.S. President Joe Biden sent a letter to congressional leaders urging them to approve the deal to sell F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. The deal had been on hold pending Turkey's approval of Sweden's NATO
Joe Biden is eager to begin selling F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. The U.S. president on Wednesday sent a letter to congressional leaders, urging them to approve the deal, quote, without delay, according to a U.S. official. In 2021, Turkey asked to purchase $20 billion worth of Lockheed Martin F-16s and nearly 80 modernization kits for its existing warplanes. The deal had been on hold pending Turkey's approval of Sweden's NATO membership. But after 20 months of delay, Turkey's parliament ratified the membership on Tuesday, clearing a hurdle for congressional approval of the deal and the expansion of the Western military alliance. The U.S. State Department on Wednesday urged Turkey to finalize Sweden's NATO membership. To do that, Turkey's President Tayyip Erdogan needs to sign the legislation. State Department Deputy Spokesperson Vedant Patel noted Congress's role in the F-16 deal and declined to provide an exact timeline. We also recognize that Congress has a key role in reviewing arms sales, uh, but uh, I'm just not going to confirm or get ahead of proposed uh, defense sales or transfers until they are formally notified to Congress. Key congressional committees review every major foreign arms sale. They regularly ask questions or raise concerns over human rights or diplomatic issues that can delay or stop such deals. In an interview with Reuters, Senate Foreign Relations Committee member Chris Van Hollen expressed doubt on a speedy approval, saying lawmakers first need assurances from the Biden administration and Turkey, which he cast as a, quote, unfaithful NATO ally, while raising concerns about Erdogan's human rights record. The S&P 500 had another record high, and Microsoft posted impressive numbers. The S&P 500 eked out its fourth straight record high close on Wednesday amid an otherwise mixed day for stocks as Netflix surged following a blowout earnings report and Microsoft crossed the $3 trillion mark. The Dow dipped a quarter percent. The S&P rose marginally, and the Nasdaq added more than a third of a percent, reaching its highest level since January 2022. The tech-heavy index was powered by chip makers, which notched significant gains, and in part by Microsoft. Shares of the world's most valuable company hit an all-time high, lifting the tech giant's market value above $3 trillion for the first time. Alphabet and Meta Platforms, also part of the magnificent seven megacaps, each gained over 1%. But Tesla lagged. Shares of the electric vehicle maker, which closed down more than half a percent, shed 2.5% in after-hours trading after the company warned of a notable slowdown in vehicle sales growth this year. Keith Buchanan, senior portfolio manager at Globalt Investments, says Tesla is not immune to the growing pains that come with an expanding EV market. Now the, the electric vehicle market is is broad, it's global. Um, there is some, uh, it's moving to a phase beyond just the infant growth that it was in in, in 20, you know, 2005, 6, 7, and 10. And Tesla's competing in a more competitive marketplace. Um, so it's not necessarily... Um, a, a huge uh, slight on the part of Tesla that they're having to compete in ways that they didn't 10 years ago. It's just part of the market uh, in this maturation phase uh, and it's the way it develops um, as a company and as an industry that seems pretty natural at this moment. In other company news, shares of Netflix jumped more than 10.5% to a two-year high on the back of strong subscriber growth powered by a crackdown on password sharing and a robust content slate. 
Chipmakers NVIDIA and Broadcom both jumped more than 2 percent and hit record highs. Traders exchanged over $34 billion worth of NVIDIA shares, more than any other stock on Wall Street, according to LSEG data. On the flip side, AT&T dropped 3 percent after forecasting annual profit below expectations, while DuPont slumped 14 percent after forecasting a fourth-quarter loss. Thanks so much for watching In America Today. I'm Veronica Dudo. For more, head to tickernews.co. Stay with us. More ticker coming up.